lovelies, and welcome to another edition of LGBT in the Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, here with you once again on the Outsports Podcast Network, and here once again with another awesome episode of the show. I am super stoked because my guest is uh, the one and only living, uh, breathing work of art in pro wrestling, Still Life with Apricots and Pears. Um, I was, I've been looking forward to having the chance to sit down with Still Life. Um, they are someone that has come up in a lot of conversations with people that I've had on this show. Um, and I'm, I'm just glad to finally have a chance to really chat with them about their experiences in pro wrestling and um, talk about uh, issues facing trans and non-binary people within the industry. Um, and really just kind of pick their mind on different things. And, and this conversation goes a lot of different places, you know, from like the origins of, of still life to the, um, the emotions that came with, um, severing ties with Chikara in the wake of the speaking out movement and, and really what, uh, what that meant personally for still life. And, um, it was just a very um, powerful and, and intriguing conversation that I'm really glad I had the chance to to have with them, and I think that you're going to enjoy it as well. But before we get to that, I do want to address something from last week's show um, where we featured the incredible Rebel Kinney. Um, obviously, near the end of that podcast, and I spoke about it up front, we did um, speak to the controversy around... Um, Pro Wrestling Eve co-founder Emily Reed's uh, transphobic comments made um, in the wake of the No Man's Land all-women show that Eve was going to do where they were only allowing women to attend the show and there's going to be women working in all facets of the show. Um, And, you know, that was... It's it's something that still has a lot of open wounds for a lot of people um, within the industry when it comes to talking about Pro Wrestling Eve, even you know, nearly a year, about like eight or nine months down the line from when that happened. And um, the one of the, the main person who experienced that whole circumstance with Emily that led to um, Emily uh, resigning from the company reached out to me um, after the show came out um, and wanted to kind of have the chance to tell their side of the story. And, you know, from, from what they told me, um, yeah, this whole situation was something that just didn't need to happen. It was very disappointing for, for them. You know, they, they are a non-binary person. They, you know, reached out after concern was brought up from one of their friends about what this possibly could mean and in this person's mind, um, based off of the response that was incredibly, um, gross for, you know, invoking imagery of, of sexual assault and, and language around sexual assault, especially towards someone who, um, and, and I don't know if Emily knew this before saying these things, but to someone who has a, has experienced sexual assault, um, yeah, it, it, it doesn't, it, it's bad. It's really, really bad. And it, and it's very, very trans, and it's, it's very transphobic, um, in, in the way that it's looking to kind of, define the idea of, of what a, a woman would be in this context. Um, but speaking to, to this person, um, you know, they, they relayed 
the majority of the conversation that they have with Emily to me. Um, and yeah, it's, it's frustrating to say the least. And that frustration kind of, um, caused someone who has been a fan of Eve for years at this point, who became a fan, um, right after Charlie Morgan, uh, had her very, very powerful coming out moment in the ring at pro wrestling Eve, um, back in 2017. Uh, it, it, it soured a lot of what the promotion had done and the promotion really had been a, uh, a very, very vocal place um, for, you know, LGBTQ, trans, marginalized acceptance um, within the Brit rest scene, as well as, you know, kind of leading the charge for a, a lot of independent promotions uh, worldwide in that way. And, you know, it, it got them to a place where they were very, very popular and, and got them to a, a very wide fan base, including this person. And since experiencing that interaction with Emily, they have um, really had a, a very sour taste in their mouth when it comes to pro wrestling Eve. Um, and we and we talked about that for a little bit. And really, it, it just seems like a lot of this was avoidable, if not for just, you know, understanding how to speak to these issues, as well as, you know, understanding that that the only definition of a woman in this instance um, isn't just someone who is femme presenting. You know, there are trans women who present more mask at times, non-binary people who present more mask at times. Um, you know, there are gender fluid people who go between different different presentations based off of however they're feeling and, and that's all their decisions and their choice and it does not make them any less of a marginalized group it does not make them any less of a woman in in the definition that we want to ad uh, attribute to to that along whatever g gender spectrum you you want to ascribe it and it, it's extremely frustrating because i think a lot of this boils down to a short-sighted definition of what a of what would be accepted in terms of um, an attendee at this show, and that really is what what it boiled down to. You know, it really boiled down to femme presenting versus mask presenting, and and how that affect the definition of a woman in the mind of of um, Emily in this conversation at least. And you know, I think that it it it. It makes the situation that much more frustrating, and and I'm hoping you know to speak, to kind of get more information around this, um, and and that sort of thing. But I don't know, and 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 I will say this: the speaking to the person that I did, they they did say that um, there is a way for for Eve to rectify this. You know, I think the main thing that they pointed out is that they want a sincere apology from Emily that that you know highlights the why the language that she used and what she said was um, so vitriolic and, and was responded to by many with that, with the the vitriol that it was. Um, and also, you know, some statement that the company would, you know, try to better itself and try to become more educated around these issues um, when it comes to relating to trans, non-binary, and gender non-conforming people that want to attend their shows and really to expand and, and understand the the definition of, of, of quote-unquote woman in that way, you know, because you know, trans women are women 
and Revel pointed to to the efforts that are being made by the leadership at Eve. You know, Dan Reed still there running the show, and you know, Revel said like like they're trying to better themselves and trying to educate themselves on how to 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 speak on these topics and how to approach and address these topics, and hopefully that is leading to some of the the progress that is needed to kind of maybe bring back some of the people that they have clearly um, alienated and, and, and offended in, in um, Emily's comments back in March. So, you know, hopefully that work is being done and we'll see what happens once, you know, the British scene this opens up more. You know, and, because Eve, honestly, up until this point, like Eve really had the reputation and... Um, in a lot of people's minds, you know, it had that reputation for for being very open and accepting. And you know, looking at the messaging around Eve during the pandemic as well, like from what they've been they've been putting out a lot of old older matches for for live streaming. And I know Dan's been on a few podcasts here and there. Um, it seems like that that attitude of acceptance is still kind of core, but it can't necessarily be an attitude of acceptance if you still have issues in terms of how you perceive others and not really validating their own identity or or denigrating them even if it's you know not directly indirect denigration is still denigration so hopefully eve can get better and come to represent what um what it did at one time um, but this is just something we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, I just wanted—I just wanted to address that right off the bat because you know, it's vital that we give um, people affected by these situations a voice as well. Um, especially someone who was such a fervent pro wrestling e fan before um, this happened, and you know, hopefully at, at some point in the future we'll be a pro wrestling e fan again. Um, as long as you just have to do the do the right thing and grow and learn yeah well uh with that being said i you know we talk we're going to talk a little bit more about trans issues in pro wrestling as well because still life with apricots pears is on the other end of uh this little uh interstitial i guess uh we'll be right back with still life with apricots and pears What's up, guys, gals, and non-binary pals? Welcome back to LGBT in the Ring. And I am super excited to have as my guest this week uh, the living work of art, former <laughs> Young Lions Cup champion, uh, and one half of the yet-to-debut tag team, Them. <laughs> Still Life with Apricots and Pears. Still Life, how are you doing today? Oh, my God, hello. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm doing very, very well. It's sunny. It's warm, That's even good. though I still have a jacket on, but it's okay. <laughs> oh, it is the exact opposite here in Philadelphia. It is gray and cold and raining. Oh, it's like <laughs> Philadelphia and Portland switched. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, I am very happy to have you on the show this week. Um, you know, we previously chatted for a piece that I wrote about um, trans healthcare rights and trans pro wrestlers uh, a little while back. And I, you know, I was so happy with how that conversation went that I, and that I definitely wanted to have you on the show again to kind of get more in depth on, on you and, and your journey in pro wrestling. Um, 
and some of the issues that are very pertinent to you in your life as a, as a trans non-binary um, pro wrestler. So I guess mm -hmm. before we get started, I just want to, I've been asking everybody this at the beginning of, of interviews uh, during the pandemic. How, how have, are you holding up amidst uh, COVID-19 so far? Um, reasonably well. Um, it's, uh, I think it's tough for all of us, you know, especially like, so much just went away and it was like our whole community and our livelihood and our hobbies and everything that makes us who we are just kind of like went on hold so um you know obviously that's really difficult especially when we're looking forward to so many things i mean this was like it all kind of started shutting down like a month out of the collective and going down to to tampa so i think just that timing made things really really difficult um but you know, I'm hanging in there, you know, I'm, I'm kind of used to this. I'm in my routine now. Um, mm. You know, I'm still in touch with all of my friends and, you know, we have our group chats and, you know, like training is starting to pick back up and we're doing some shows here and there. So it's, you know, starting to look a little like normal, you know, jobs are starting to open up. So like my personal life is starting to like, you know, there's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel there. Cause I also like my, my day job was in the performing arts. So that mm. went away too so um yeah it was it was it was it was tough but you know i'm very optimistic and, um you know hanging in there how are you how was it for you <laughs> i mean i i work from home all the time so like oh, nothing lucky. really changed that much <laughs> i do miss i miss i miss like public engagements i do i miss going to shows mm -hmm. um which is why i was very it was very very lucky timing that you know, myself and my partner were able to get out to DC for Butch versus Gore, the last mm -hmm. real, the last show that really that um, up until at least for a few months that ran that had like a lot of uh, significance, I would say, up until maybe mm -hmm. like late summer, whenever people started getting back into the groove of things. Um, so I'm I that's what I miss. I miss being out able to go out to, to shows and, and interact with with um, the people there and interact with the the art form. A pro wrestling in that way mm -hmm. but i'm like you i think like you just you just have to be as optimistic as you can when it comes to this stuff and you know routines are built and we'll just have to keep mm -hmm. going forward and hopefully things get safer and more places are able to open up again and get back to so. get back to the grind but <clears throat> but yeah I, and you know butch versus gore was um i mean i i think almost every episode since that show has happened has come up in conversation, I think, but mm -hmm. it was really important for, for me and my partner, because it was the first time that I was going to get to see a number of people that I've followed and written about for a while in, in person for the first time, yourself included. Um, and I have to say um, it's, it's pretty high praise. Last, I think, uh, a couple weeks ago for our Thanksgiving episode, I put out the call for for fans to submit matches for us to watch, and one of the matches that was submitted to us was your match with Lady Frost from that show, um, oh, right. which yes, which obviously <laughs> I've I've seen before, but like just the fact that like that was one of the submissions, I'm like, no, this is perfect. This is great. Like, of course. <laughs> so, um, 
that being said, I'm I'm glad to have the chance to talk with you a little bit more about your experiences now. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, Butch versus Gore was was a major moment, but there were so many more for for you. I think ahead of that as well, um, you've wrestled for a number of uh, promotions up in the the Northeast along the East Coast, even making yourself out our way here, having at least one match at Hood Slam. Um, which I do mm-hmm. want to get into that experience with you because I, from what oh, I understand, it's very, very <laughs> formative in a lot of ways. But I want to go back to the beginning. Where does Still Life with Apricots and Pears first um, become enamored with pro wrestling as an art form? I think always. Um, you know, I was really young and I remember, like, I knew what pro wrestling was. Um, but I didn't really become like obsessed with it until, you know, I grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia. So we had ECW was like the thing. Um, and I remember like scrolling through the, I keep saying scrolling through the channels, flipping through the channels. Um, and I found it on, you know, it's like channel 17, like one of those random channels. And I had no idea what I was watching. I just happened to stumble upon it. Um, and it was just wild. It was just like, nothing I'd never, I'd ever seen before. And being that young, it just felt so edgy. And so like, I'm going to get in trouble for watching this. Cause I probably would have. And I was like, I think I had like, I was being babysat. Like my parents weren't even home. So like, <laughs> I remember that moment so vividly of just like discovering this, like, you know, this crazy thing. <laughs> and, um, you know, I assume just, I, I just became obsessed with it from there. And that was kind of like, you know, started watching, um, you know, WCW and WWF and just, it was um, just something I was so obsessed with, you know, growing up. Hmm. Were there any distinct uh, personalities within pro wrestling that drew you um, into it more so, or that you kind of, um, I guess, like, kind of, um, like, kind of built that relationship for you in a way that kept bringing you back? Um, I liked... I think my first favorite wrestler was RVD um, just because of like watching ECW where he's like the most colorful and just like the most fun. And just like when you're like, you know, eight years old or whatever, like is the coolest guy. <laughs> so like um, I really followed him and just like, cause he had a cool career where I could kind of, I feel like I followed him from the beginning, relatively speaking to like his pinnacle where, you know, won the WWE championship. Um, so I think just kind of like being able to pick someone young in their career and followed it through was, was, you know, something I really enjoyed. Um, and then it was like when he lost that title and all that stuff came when he got like, um, you know, the drug stuff or whatever it was and like <laughs> yeah. lost his job or lost the title. Like that was the, like I stopped watching wrestling for years. Cause that oh, was really? kind of like, he, he was who I followed and he was who I, I was into and just like when he's done like he gets the he gets to the top of the mountain or whatever and then he's gone just like well, what else am I going to cheer for so um I stopped watching wrestling for years when that happened <laughs> what what brought you back uh, um it was the WWE 13 video game um oh. I just started hearing I don't know why that one was special I just I guess a friend was talking about how cool it was or something like that and um I was like, I haven't played a wrestling game in a minute. So I bought it. And then I didn't know who anyone was for the most part. And then like, that's when I like discovered like CM Punk. Cause like, I missed all of that stuff. All of like that ring of honor run and the reboot of ECW and all that. So um, I got to rediscover who all these wrestlers were. And um, I think that was in the middle of his, his title run. So um, 
just started catching up. And that was when I could finally like watch old wrestling videos on, on the internet. <laughs> um, so I got to like catch up on all of this stuff. And then um, when I moved back to Philly, I started going to independent wrestling shows um, again. And uh, that's where I discovered Chikara and Ring of Honor because, you know, they run in Philly or mm -hmm. in Philly a lot. So, yeah. No, that's that's a really interesting, like kind of entry point back into it. Cause like, I know there are a lot of people that don't necessarily watch wrestling that still engage with the with the video games and stuff like that. And WWE 13 was like a, a really interesting title for me personally because like I, I think that was the first one that had like the story editor in it. Okay. And like that just produced so many ridiculous things online that it was just like no, we're just going to lean into the like the the uh the madness of what pro wrestling can be and like that just yeah. it just re reinvigorated my feeling for like exactly how um odd and funny you can take the creativity of pro wrestling when you put it in the hands of like any random person at all which yeah. honestly like, and sorry go ahead no, I said I love that. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, but like, in, in, in a way, like, that's what a lot of what I think independent pro wrestlers are, are doing, especially now, in that you're having the power to really have more, have control over your persona and, and what you present in the ring and um, the stories that, that you can tell or you want to tell. And there's just so much, there's, it takes it in so many different directions that I think has made it so much more appealing to a lot of different people. Yeah, absolutely. And especially just because we have so many more, you know, I thought I wrestled before, but like just knowing now that we have so many more options to present ourselves and, you know, fans have some different ways to like consume that content that it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily be, you don't have to be on TV to like get over or to have people see you. So we can try these really weird things. And, you know, wrestling has been around for you know, over a hundred years. So like, everything's already been done already. So, you know, it's fun to try to do something new or to combine old ideas. It's, a, it's like a beautiful art form in that way. No, definitely. And I think that's why, um, one of the main reasons why I've been so drawn to, to still life, to you as, as a persona for the short time that you've been in the business, because like, it's so unique of a of an idea for a character, just like a wrestling living work of art in the way that you are. Like even just the name itself kind of invokes a, a different visual idea of what a pro wrestler can really represent in a way. Um, and so much of it from from what I can tell is like bore out of your own mind in a lot of ways. Talk to me a little bit about the the um the path to actually getting in the ring and, and where still life started to kind of form for yourself. Sure. So, you know, I tell this story a lot, but like, I never, I never dreamed of becoming a professional wrestler. That was not something I ever thought about. You know, I was never particularly athletic. You know, I didn't really play sports growing up. Um, it was just not something I ever thought about. I loved wrestling. I love everything about it. And, you know, um, but I just never thought I could do it. And then it wasn't until, so in Philadelphia, we have this thing called Ignite Philly. Have you heard of that? It's a lot uh, like a TED talk. Yeah, I, I think I've heard the name. I, I'm not terribly familiar with it, but I'm, a little bit. Okay, so it's like our version of TED talks. And it's like someone in the community sharing something exciting they're doing, whether it's a social cause or some kind of like 
you know, um, you know, hobby or interest or performing art or something like that. Um, so Mike Quackenbush spoke at one of them and, um, you know, it was a really great speech and really, really interesting about like why professional wrestling is amazing, which I agree, professional wrestling is amazing. And um, one of my friends was one of the hosts, he helped run it. Um, so he organized some kind of like more private, um, like speaking engagement, speaking engagement with Mike. So he came by and I was invited to that. And then afterwards he invited a group of us to come train to do like a wrestling workshop at the Wrestle Factory. So I was like, yeah, right. Like I'm not doing that. Um, but then like my friends convinced me and my partner at the time was just like, you love wrestling. Why not? And I'm like, oh, okay. So I went and I did it and it was like better than I thought. Like I just wanted to like touch the ring, run the ropes, like that whole thing. And then um, after that, he invited us to do like uh, the 101 class, the 101 class, sorry. Um, and again, like I was like, no way. And then everyone gets me to do it because all my friends did it. And it, it went well, like, you know, there's 16 of us that started and, you know, six or eight of us finished, you know, all seven weeks and only a few of us had passed, um, you know, had kind of mastered the skills to go on to 201 and I was one of those people. So I was like, okay, well, if I'm in the top four out of 16, like, that's good odds. <laughs> and then, you know, um, more and more, I just kept like going back to class and then it, it just became my whole my whole life. And I think around that same time, I was working, trying to make it as like an artist, you know, I was a visual artist, I guess I still am, but, you know, I was really trying to make it as like a artist, printmaker, freelance illustrator, like that kind of thing. Like that was, those were my goals. Like that was what I was living my whole life towards. And, you know, I had some old, some like solo shows, which were really, really cool and like really amazing experiences, but I never really I never really accomplished the goals that I had for myself. You know, I had a lot of strict goals that I wanted to, to see through and it, it was just wasn't happening the way I wanted it to. And then, you know, wrestling came along and it felt really natural. And, you know, looking back, like I'm meeting all of these goals and I'm way more successful as like a, a wrestler than I ever was as an artist. Um, so yeah, I just started following that. <laughs> and um, so around, was it uh, early 2018 um you know kind of my cohort within the wrestle factory they all started kind of getting their characters and we're getting like they're all starting to debut and kind of get these opportunities on the on the roster within shakara and you know i wasn't like i was i was always kind of behind i joined late so i was always kind of like you know a few months or a year behind everyone and i felt that way like i felt like i was always playing catch up and um you know, they all started like getting these opportunities and I felt like I just wasn't going to, like I was gonna have to wait another year and maybe maybe I just wouldn't become a wrestler. Like I, you know, was training for two years at that point. Um, so I was like starting to doubt if it was gonna happen. And then Blank had the idea to do, um, you know, have these two works of art, you know, take two wrestlers and, and make them into works of art to be his kind of like sidekicks. And that's how, you know, I got that opportunity because there was nothing else going on for me. There was nothing else. It didn't look like there was anything for me. And then I got thrust into this, this thing. So I was assigned the character and, you know, it was a concept created within Shakar and by blank. And um, yeah, I just rambled on for a while, but <laughs> that's, that's, that's how it started. You know, I was 
I was a piece of art and that was kind of the only note that we had. Um, and it just grew from there. No, it's, it's interesting that like, really the only idea around the concept was that that you would be this this living piece of art in that way because like in in many ways like to borrow art parlance like it's very mm -hmm. much giving you a blank canvas to kind of mm -hmm. build what you want this character to be in as it goes forward and i think that's really one of the main things watching that initial run in chikara like seeing the the not just the like in ring evolution or the or the character revolution but like the physical um revolution of the character like starting from this like blank white and slowly adding more and more color to to the character itself to, to the wardrobe itself um and really like watching this evolution of, of still life kind of grow to become their own um entity in a way and, and start to kind of buck up against uh, blank in the way that that, that, that they did. <laughs> like it was just a really interesting form of like very visual storytelling in an you know, art form like pro wrestling where so much of the storytelling is, vis is visible. This is like a completely different idea of it in, in some ways. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, and I think that was, you know, having the white gear and being painted on that was stuff like an idea that came from within Shakara. Um, and uh, yeah, that's where it started. And then we just kind of, I think we had kind of developed some trust within, you know, the creative controls within Shakara that we, we didn't need that kind of attention. Like we could be trusted to do our own thing and to make it work. So I was really thankful that we had that trust and we had that chemistry to kind of build this. Um, yeah. <laughs> At what point did you start to really take hold of of still life as a persona and really feel like like they were something that you can make your own? Um, it was really hard at first because obviously it felt like this this throwaway character in a way. You know, like mm. we were kind of treated as like furniture, <laughs> literally speaking, and um, you know the the opportunities we had were kind of like as bumbling idiots and. You know, I think I started, that didn't, I wanted more than that. Like I wanted to show that I could evolve this character and I kind of started feeling, you know, seeing myself in still life and, um, you know, started trying to mesh the two. And I saw like, I didn't really try to control it as much. You know, when I went out when my music played and the curtain opened, I just let whatever happened happen. You know, like my movements on the entrance and the way I carried myself was, you know, a part of who I am. And I just kind of let that naturally, I just tried to let go and let whatever happened happened. And, and once all that started kind of coming together, it just started snowballing of just evolving this character. But it wasn't, it wasn't, I, I didn't sit around and like watch movies and like look for specific pieces of, infer, of like inspiration or anything like that. Like I just, just kind of let it, just let it happen. And mm. I just wanted to show that like I could be bigger than this, you know, I, cause it was the kind of opportunity where it could just be like, it could just be that, it could just be blank sidekick, you know, the person who takes like blanks heat or whatever it is. Um, that could have easily been my career. Um, and I didn't want that, you know, I wanted bigger <laughs> things. I wanted, I wanted to do more with it. And, you know, I'm thankful I had that opportunity and I, 
did it. <laughs> <laughs> now, was there a specific moment um, during that initial like one to two years with Chikara that really kind of felt like that moment where you took ownership of it? Um, I guess it would have been Young Lions Cup if it's anything. Mm. Um, just because that was like the biggest opportunity I had had. You know, I, in my mind, I hadn't done anything to deserve that at that point. You know, I don't think my wrestling, my in-ring ability was that strong. Um, I don't think I really made the most of the opportunities I had. So I was really surprised when I had that opportunity to be the Young Lions Cup champion, especially with all the prestige that goes into that, that title. Um, you know, with everyone who's, who's held it. So it just felt like this was make or break. You know, I had to show that I deserve to be here. And, you know, I had this long line of people to wrestle who were, you know, like my first match was Carlos Romo, who was like, you know, an incredible young wrestler. And um, I hope I, I, I think I made the most of it, you know, like it, um, yeah, I just had like every, every defense was this huge opportunity and there was definitely eyeballs, more attention on that than anything else. So I just felt like I had, it was sink or swim. So I think it went well. <laughs> oh, I'd say you definitely swam like, when it comes to that. Like, I mean, you're still here. You're still mm -hmm. allowing people to like, even just as, as recent as uh, like a month or so ago at, at the collective. So mm -hmm. like you're, yeah, you, you swam, definitely. Um, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Um, and obviously, like, going into into training, um, since, well, actually, since, you, since you've been in training, out of training, wrestling, building your profile, you've used that platform to really bring um, a, a light onto non-binary and trans identities um just through mm -hmm. yourself being in the ring um being as open about your identity as you are um even and and i really enjoyed the uh the new purple gear look um and the purple gear really kind of emanating the non-binary flag colors mm -hmm. um i really enjoy that as well and something that you i can't think of another person uh, up until maybe um joshua wavra or wavra rather who really like put that on their on their gear and put those colors on their gear symbolizing like this is who I am in in such a um, vibrant and, and visual way um, whenever you started training had you already sort of began um, I don't know if exploring is the right word but kind of like trying to better understand your own um, identity in, in that way um, not, that's, that's a really complicated question. Mm. Um, you know, cause it's something that like, I've thought about my whole life. Like, it's kind of like, I always knew it's easy. Like looking back now, it's easy to say, I always knew I was trans. Um, but like, you know, in the moment you don't really know, like you don't really know what it means, especially when you're really young. Like you don't know what these feelings mean. Um, but you know that they're wrong or, you know, someone is telling you that they're wrong. So I think like in high school, like I started, you know, I guess just when I was a teenager, I started exploring it more and I had access to like um, the internet. And I remember we had like digital cable, which was just kind of like the, the expanded cable package, you know? So we had like, I had access to like um, 
a lot of like queer cinema. I forget these what the channels were called, but there was just like, you know, LGBT uh, TV stations that had, you know, a lot of queer cinema on it. So that's kind of where I got more acquainted with like trans identities. And, you know, I found a lot of documentaries and really related to that and felt like that's maybe who I was, but I don't know, I got, I got bullied a lot. So it was really hard for me to like, want to try, you know, do anything that was gonna make that worse for me. Cause that would have, so I just didn't have the courage to do it and um, didn't really have the support system to, to start exploring that. Um, and then it wasn't really until I started wrestling where I like had this new confidence in myself and I got to explore a different persona of myself in still life on stage in front of people and be well received. And I think just the combination of having these amazing friends and this amazing community and this amazing support, having the confidence that I never had of just being myself and like doing, like really putting myself out there, um, all of that kind of just made me feel like, okay, now's the right time. Now I'm ready to start that. Um, so that was when, I'm like, I'm like confusing the years, but I think it was, yeah, it was, it was, I think I was a year into wrestling when I, I decided I was going to make that phone call to like, um, the clinic and, and start that process. Hmm. No, that's, that's really powerful. Like, but it's amazing, like to see like the power that, of the platform that pro wrestling can provide, you know, obviously like fans make up so much of like you know what really builds up or, or what becomes like popular and that sort of thing but take the fans out of it just being able to have a platform to explore yourself it's one thing that i've come to like see talking to as many you know lgbtq pro wrestlers as i have like it's really like the platform to explore yourself and your own identity that comes with that that can be the truly remarkable thing when it comes to entering this business. So you start like feeling empowered to kind of explore your own identity um, and, and you make the decision to begin transitioning. Um, how are you, how are you feeling when, whenever bringing that to um, training and, and to the ring after making that decision? It was, you know, it was really scary at that time because I didn't really know, I didn't really know many other trans wrestlers and I didn't know what that meant for me going forward with wrestling. I didn't know what that was, if this was going to be too much for me to continue wrestling. If it, I didn't know, I didn't know what it meant. And um, like right after then, Right, right after then, right after I decided to start this process is when, that's when I discovered Dark Sheik. And you know, it was on, um, I think it was like a trans subreddit where I found the video of her like coming out to um, Hood Slam and you know, telling the audience that she had started hormones and she didn't know what it meant, but you know, she just wanted to share that with people. Um, so that kind of like gave me a lot of confidence then um, and just kind of made me feel like, okay, there's someone else doing this um, and someone else that I can kind of relate to. And I think around that same time, um, not the same time, but also like Laura Jane Grace coming out was like a trans woman that I could definitely relate to more than 
um, I guess anyone else. So being like, I don't know, just the way she presents herself, like I felt much more in common with her. Um, so yeah, so after Dark Sheet came out, um, she, we became friends shortly thereafter and she invited me to come perform at Hood Slam, which we were talking about a little bit earlier. Um, and then we've become like close friends since and, um, you know, got to share that moment together at the collective a couple months ago. Um, but yeah, just knowing that there was someone else out there that was like me and, you know, I got to meet more people who were like me, um, you know, gave me, you know, the confidence to keep going. And then, you know, starting to explore that with, with still life and seeing that I was supported by, you know, my friends and peers at the within Shakara and it was only a positive response and then always only a positive response from the fans like it just kept building and building and you know it's only been really positive any of the negative things I just kind of shout out and don't let them mm -hmm. don't let them take up space but <laughs> yeah <laughs> no I mean that's all you really can do in in those instances um and I you know I think your relationship with Dark Sheik is one that many people have pointed to as, as being a very poignant one. Like obviously within Chikara, like you were there. Um, I don't know if you were like coming up with some of the other people that are part of the community there. Like I know like Whisper, Molly mm -hmm. McCoy, Solo Darling, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. you were obviously interacting with a number of people within the LGBTQ community while there, but Dark Sheik, it felt like just from the way you've spoken about her and, you know, so many other people that, that you're familiar with that have, that I've spoken to that have told me about her, um, y'all's relationship. It seems like there's something like truly, truly like deep and meaningful beyond a lot of other things in this industry and possibly even beyond it that really bore out from being able to, to see Dark Sheik as an example for yourself. I think it's just like, just seeing that video and just knowing she was doing this, the same thing, like at the same time as me, um, you know, it was really, really special and also like you know you mentioned like molly like molly was one of the first molly and solo were both two of the, the first people i came out to so you know when i talk about the community it's 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 them um and they've both been incredibly supportive and helpful to me so um yeah <laughs> talk to me a little bit about getting the chance to go out to hood slam um yeah i know because you've only really from what i understand it's only been like one trip i want to say but mm -hmm. um Hood Slam has been on the forefront for a number of years in terms mm -hmm. of presenting um, LGBTQ identities and alternative, however you want to put it, for like a rather marginalized. That's a better word for it. We don't want to use that WWE speak out here. Alternative, <laughs> get out. Um, marginalized communities um, uh, to the forefront in, in Hood Slam. They, it's been a major thing for them. What was it like for you to get the chance to go out there and and work on one of their shows um, under Dark Sheik? Oh, so cool. <laughs> it's so fun. Because <laughs> it was the first time I ever had the opportunity to like fly for wrestling. Um, hmm. So like that was really neat. I felt so fancy. <laughs> but <laughs> um, yeah, it was just incredible to have that opportunity and like I don't think people really know how big it is. Like, it's huge. They get so many people. I think she was saying like between like 400 and like 900 people like every Friday. Like the numbers they do are crazy just from like a wrestling business perspective. It's huge. Um, but then also having this community of, of, you know, diverse people and supportive people and like a really safe, 
environment in the locker room and in the ring and and the whole thing is it was just incredible and it was um you know it was really fun because I think we all got there early day of show and we're all just hanging out in Sheik's apartment um before we have to load in the ring and all that stuff and it was like we had realized that like we were acting like we've all been like lifelong friends um and we just all get this whole you know crew of us were getting along so well and then we realized that like none of us knew each other like it was the first time we had all met each other other than like I had met Effie like a couple months before that um but beyond that like it was the first time we were all meeting each other so it's just like that's the kind of like really special environment that they have is just I don't know just inviting the kind of people who we're just like all best friends you know it was, it was really special it was really cool and I hope to go out again you know we, we talk about it so it'll definitely I think it'll definitely happen once things clear up but it was cool and it was just like so different from Chikara where it's just like you know less family friendly <laughs> um, definitely it was it was wild and you know I loved meeting like Kita and like I loved our match and hope to wrestle him again so it was just really cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I'm like I I don't want to speak for the entire coast, but I'm sure we'll be happy to have you whenever we're able to open up, and and get people moving across the country again for these sort of things. Yay! Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and you know to to your point about like that the way those relationships are built so quickly and seem so natural, um, around hood slam and this sort of thing. Like I, you know, I can speak to that too. Like just the, the, the few conversations I've had with Dark Sheik and almost immediately feel a connection to her. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, it's, it's uncanny in a way, just how quickly you're like, no, like this, there, there are these things that are similar with us and we're on, it's so easy to get on the same wavelength with her. Um, and I think that's one reason why it was so awesome to see you two wrestling at the collective at, at Effie's Big Gay Brunch back in October. Um, you know, I had Effie on the show previous to uh, to that show running, and you know, one of the matches that he pointed out—I mean, he put, he highlighted every match basically—but he highlighted your match specifically because of the relationship that you and Dark Sheik have, and 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 how you have like looked to her as an example, and and as a as a driving force in that way. What was it like for you to finally get the chance to like step into the ring with Dark Sheik? It was incredible. I think just because we have that connection and I'm very thankful that Effie, you know, I pulled him aside at um, MV Young's Polyam Colt party show. <laughs> the one, <laughs> you know, that was like a month before. And I, you know, we were, we were talking about like what matchups and that, and that was the one that I wanted. And he's like, I love it. We'll do it. And I, and I told him the story that I just shared. So um, he's like, all right, we'll make it happen. And, you know, he did and you know I'm very thankful for that so just kind of like I think just the opportunity to like kind of share that moment with her on that platform you know at Effie's Big Gay Brunch you know this um queer showcase like it was just really special and it was just kind of like this thing that you know I wanted and I'm glad that we got to kind of have the match that we had where we can kind of showcase what we can do and you know I think being in California it's kind of hard for for someone like her to get out as much especially when she's at Hood Slam every Friday so um to kind of help give her this opportunity for more people to see her and to see what she can do it was really 
you know, special. So, yeah, I think it was just like, it was really just, a, I keep saying that, but just like a special moment for me. Well, I mean, it's an apt word. Like it, it, yeah. That's it, you know, <laughs> so mm-hmm. it totally makes sense. Yeah. Um, and like you've you've been wrestling for a number of places throughout like th- this year, even as the after the pandemic went into full force. Like I know you've appeared uh, for for Beyond, obviously mm-hmm. um, at Big Gay Brunch with GCW, um, um, and I'm sure that there's some other stuff coming up for you as well. Um, but one thing throughout this um, that did happen was the speaking out movement mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and obviously that impacted uh, many people within chikara which you know was your your origin your, your home base mm-hmm. for the longest time and shortly after these allegations came out against multiple people including founder mike quackenbush um you were very public about um like severing your your ties to chikara and the wrestle factory um in the wake of everything that couldn't have been uh, an easy uh maybe not an easy maybe not the decision itself but like working through everything that went into making that decision couldn't have been easy for you like what what i don't know if you if you feel comfortable like speaking a little bit on on that decision and and kind of what you were going through in the wake of seeing all of these these um allegations come out yeah i mean it, it was really hard you know because that was like that was like my home base, you know, that was where I trained, um, where I wrestled. It was my whole community, uh, are those people. So it was really, really difficult. And, you know, we're obviously like talking a lot with, you know, we had our Zoom calls and our group chats and stuff and no one was really sure what to do, but, you know, within, within the Wrestle Factory, like I can always look to, to Hala Wicked as like kind of my, my mentor, um, you know, he was my primary trainer. So it, when he made the decision to leave, and then I thought like, well, if that's the right decision. You know, if that's what Hollow Wicked's gonna do, that's then that's the right call. So that's, that's why I was public about it. Um, and, you know, I kind of have a feeling, not a feeling, but like a belief that like, if you use your, as a performer, you have a sort of power. Um, and if you ever use that power to abuse others, whatever it may be, like you don't get that back, you're done, you know? So it kind of, that was kind of the case here, um, or at least the, the perspective of it. So that's why, that's why I was done. And it was kind of, I don't know. It was kind of already done. Like the decision was kind of made for me already, but mm. um, yeah. Also, I mean, it didn't feel like there was a chance. I don't know. I, I guess I just didn't see a way to get beyond that to, for Chikara to continue mm. um, in my eyes, at least. And in that moment, I was still very raw and still very fresh and overwhelming. And, you know, you're going through all the stages of grief, you know, especially with like other people I knew who had done terrible things at that time. Yeah. Um, so it was just like a really, it's just really difficult time and decision. And I'm thankful that I had the community, like I said, like my peers and my friends and stuff that we could lean on each other and kind of work through what to do. Yeah. yeah. And, and it really seems like the, that family element that, that, 
a lot of people that worked in Chikara built really helped a lot of you transition from the the death of that company mm-hmm. in the wake of everything. Because like I know, you know, there was the the video that Boomer and uh, Molly put out that was like oh. very very <laughs> oh good lord it, it hit me hard. Um, yeah. But then like you have you've seen like a number of people that were within that that family that have really started to um, kind of make branch out and build themselves a, a new foundation in a lot of ways. You know, I know Whisper's been working a lot in various independents. Uh, the former Dasher Hatfield um, has been making a name for himself in Black Label as, as well as another number of places. You mm-hmm. and Molly and Boomer have been wrestling in multiple places as well. You know, most notable, I, I really loved the match that you and Molly had at the, the Polyam Cole party. <laughs> um, it was just fun, just unbridled fun. Mm-hmm. And then seeing that transition over to what Y'all, what y'all have been doing with Camp Leapfrog as well mm-hmm. um, has just been it's been really interesting because like you see the dynamic of like what made those characters work in Chikara but they are work in a completely different context in a way in these other places where like you take it out of the Chikara bubble and you allow like the core of that character just to still exist but it can grow into in other ways too like mm-hmm. I don't know, like seeing Molly McCoy and Pero during the Twink Gauntlet, oh I couldn't gosh, like. Awesome. <laughs> it was so good, but like that's one of those things. Like if my if like if I'm just looking at Molly McCoy specifically in Chikara, it's it, you don't necessarily see that sort of moment coming from that just because of what you've seen in Chikara, in a way. Mm-hmm. So and, I don't know. It's just been interesting to see like y'all blossom. In, in so many ways, like in, in the wake of such a, a tragic thing um, mm-hmm. that really could have like impacted impacted a number of people in, in a much more um, harsh way, I would say, professionally. Yeah, I'm thankful that we were able to separate ourselves from it because, you know, a lot of the things that were talked about, like a lot of the allegations had all happened before we were there. And like... Hmm everything was the first time we were hearing about it. You know, like there was nothing, there was nothing posted that like we knew. Um, so it was kind of as shocking for all of us to read. Um, sorry to just jump back into that, but. Um, no, you're fine. Yeah, I think when you, when Chakar was around, you know, it's a very, it's tough to kind of get out of it because, well, not get out of it, but just make yourself available for other opportunities because it is very time consuming with the, how much we train and how many shows we were doing. So it's kind of hard to like take outside bookings um, knowing that we had to prioritize Chikara. Um, and not that that was a bad thing. Uh, that was just the way it was. And that was kind of the, you know, what we agreed to, to be there. Um, so, you know, once that was kind of, once we, once that was gone, um, we are, our schedule's open and, you know, we're available to kind of like show what we can do elsewhere. So, no, and you definitely have, you know, like, like I said, like so many of y'all have, have really opened up new pathways for yourselves. Um, I, I, I want to go back to Camp Leapfrog real quick because Mm -hmm. it's one of the more, um, just (laughs) pure, fun things like what what y'all have been doing over there and bore out of the mind of of chris levin has been just some of the more inventive cinematic type stuff that we've seen 
um, throughout the the era of pandemic wrestling. Like obviously, Uncanny had their full cinematic show that was outstanding, and yeah. we've seen you know Paris is bumping. Uh, mm-hmm. the, some of the Polyam stuff has been has been outstanding as well. But Leapfrog, it just has this different sort of innocence to it in a way that is just it's so endearing and like i, I go <laughs> i go back to that the photo of like I, I don't know if it was you or if it was green ant that put it out but the photo of like green ant in the tube in the pool and you just standing by the side with the dog on the leash yeah with kevin and yes, the kevin. <laughs> <laughs> that was cheeseburger took the photo <laughs> <laughs> it's just so it's just it just has this it just has this element of of fun to it mm-hmm. that that you don't get in a lot of pro wrestling. Um, I don't know what's been your experience with Camp Leapfrog. Like, how have you enjoyed uh, working with with them as uh, through their uh, few shows that they've done? It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, like Chris is one of my best friends. So, like, just um, you know, I love working with him. You know, he's a crazy person, but like, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, him and, and, and Sam Laterna do a lot of it too. Um, and then, you know, he has a lot of people like giving feedback and helping with write some of the stories and stuff like that. So it's, it's a, it's a big operation and, you know, he definitely, you know, leans on a lot of us to help with these stories and, and to what we do. So, um, it's, it's a blast. Um, I mean, the, the, tapings are super long because it's like all these like segments and then matches and all this stuff so um it's just a blast and it's just like to kind of maintain that kind of a lot of people who I knew from Chakara and like people who are kind of on the periphery of Chakara like to bring us all together um to keep that going is really cool and just the opportunities that I'm getting there like to wrestle someone like Cheeseburger and um some of the stuff that's happening that I can't even talk about. Um, mm. It's really cool. We have Christmas trios coming up live on I well not live but on IWTV <laughs> on Christmas Eve. Although I think we have to pretend it's live. So yeah, live on IWTV Christmas Eve. There you go. Um, Keep Fable live. Yeah, that's how I do it. Um, so really excited for that. Um, yeah, it's just cool. It's just really cool. No, I need, I need, I have to ask you one more thing on Camp Leapfrog. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the first show you had a match against Cheeseburger in a five round food fight. Yes. Who, was the, who was the genius that came up with the idea for a food fight between Cheeseburger and Still Life with Apricots and Pears? Because I mean, that, that just is a medal. That just writes itself. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a, a matchup that um, Chris wanted to do. And like, obviously, we're both foods in a way <laughs> it just kind of wrote itself um i think that joke's just too obvious for anyone to take credit for it <laughs> <laughs> no it's it's such a good one too oh lord um well uh i know there's one other one other thing that i really wanted to hit on with you um, sure. that we kind of discussed off the air a little bit um you know part of you being as as out and as visible and as outspoken about um issues around trans and non-binary identities is um you know, it goes back to some of the stuff that we talked about around um, around the nature of wrestling training and, and promoting in schools and stuff like that. Um, I know that you, you told me that you previously tried to um, kind of speak to some of these issues and, and how to better help promoters and, and trainers better relate and understand trans and non-binary identities. Um, but I, I just was curious to know um, what what in your mind um, would, would help would help 
um, a lot of these people that don't necessarily, they don't have the, the lived experience of, of trans and non-binary people. They don't really have the experience, uh, the lived experience of LGBTQ people in a lot of instances. Mm-hmm. But um, what advice would you give to promoters and trainers that are, you know, have trans and non-binary people that they're working with and, and maybe struggle with understanding exactly how to approach and, and utilize them? Sure. Um, you know, I'm glad you're asking me that. Um, I think, you know, I think the first step is just kind of like talk to us, like see what our particular needs are uh, in a situation, whether that's training or, um, you know, on a show. And, you know, I have to say that like, you know, at the Wrestle Factory, Mike was incredibly supportive and, you know, really went out of his way to make sure that I felt safe and comfortable. Um, and then Cheeseburger too, you know, um, you know, he's very open to like any kind of concerns I have or anything like that. So just like kind of making sure there's, there's that avenue for communication. Um, you know, one thing I, I would like to see more of is just giving us opportunities to put our pronouns down somewhere whether that's like on a sign-up sheet for classes or, you know, like every show I'm on, there's going to be someone asking me about my like specific announcing notes. Like, you know, the really good announcers and commentators will come up to each wrestler and, you know, height and weight and, you know, who trained you? What are your, what's your finisher name? All those kind of basic things. Like they, they have to get that stuff and they want to confirm that that's still up to date if they've met us before, but you know, very rarely are they asking me pronouns. Um, so I would think like, I would hope that's something that can start being, um, just being on that list, making sure that they're getting pronouns correct. Um, and then, you know, I would hope, you know, others feel um, okay speaking up if, if someone's ever misgendered. Um, you know, there's times where I've been misgendered um, and I don't have the opportunity to correct someone. And there's a couple of funny times where, it happened both when I was wrestling solo and when I was wrestling Kikio, where they have me in a, in a hold, you know, they're cranking on my leg and then some fan misgenders me and they correct the fan while they're like, <laughs> you know, pulling on my leg or whatever. So like, something like that's like totally great. But um, I think just like more of that and just feel like it's totally okay. It doesn't just have to be on me to like speak up because on show day, it's a lot, you know, I have to go around and, making sure everyone in my match is aware of what my pronouns are. I go up to the referee and confirm this, the announcer, find the commentators, you know, these are all kind of hard people to find on a show day. There's a lot going on. So just kind of like knowing that that's something I've, I'm doing and just, I just be mindful of those things and it's totally okay to ask. And, you know, I think it should be normalized to be asking pronouns, um, whoever you're talking to, because you don't know, you can't assume any of these things. So, mm. um, I think that's the first thing. Um, and then a the second thing is there's not a lot of thought to the locker room situation on, on shows. Mm. Um, very few locker rooms are divided by gender. Usually it's just kind of one room for everybody. Um, whether that's like a sectioned off part of like, you know, if you're in like an open gym, like it's just a, a, sectioned, off co- a sectioned off corner with pipe and drape or like you're thrown in a kitchen or in a box truck or like, whatever crazy locker rooms we have, it's usually not um, divided by gender. Um, And even less so is like a private place for us to get changed. Um, You know, for me personally getting changed, it's a very like personal thing being trans, you know, there's, 
<laughs> for me to get into my wrestling gear, it's like there's tape and tucking and like eight pairs of pantyhose. Like it's a lot to get, get this. And it's like a private experience for me that like, you know, it's hard to just like do that in a corner with a towel, <laughs> you know, like I, I, I just like to see more thought in like a private space for people to get changed. Um, mm. That doesn't really exist right now or all the time, especially when you're in like a sectioned off back room where you don't even have a bathroom nearby, you know? Um, so oh, excuse me, my alarm's going off. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I would just like, I would like to see more thought to that. Um, I hope I'm not asking like for too many like special accommodations, but like just, just privacy in, in a locker room would be great. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, no, it's it's important in, in these sort of things, and I, and I would hope that you know there's at least been some movement along these along these topics that that you've seen or, or other people have seen relayed to you in the last couple of years. But obviously, like, no job is really ever done per se. Like, there's always going to be a, a way to make things better and and more comfortable for all identities and and i'll be frank like going back to the pronoun situation like i on this show whenever we were talking about the big gay brunch i had um elm hill on mm -hmm. and we were talking about the show and like we were critical of commentary during your match because of pronoun usage but then like we like i myself i know like i, I even i need to be corrected because like yeah you use she as well as they mm -hmm. and like and like i I forgot about that in the moment and like I had to go back and correct myself. So like, it's just a matter of like really making these things more normalized, like you're saying. And I think it's, it's, it's moving in the right path. Absolutely. Yeah. But there's still a, a lot more work to be done. Um, mm -hmm. I would love it if like Chiron's had pronouns on them whenever you're coming mm -hmm. out to the ring, like that would just be, I don't know. There's yeah. all different ways mm -hmm. sort of things to make them more normal for people. Um, and also really beyond just wrestling, like in terms of like approaching people about pronoun usage and, and trying to like ask people about their pronouns. Like, I feel like it's, it's better now than it was a few years ago, but there's still some people that feel uncomfortable doing that for fear of offending the, the other party in, in that mm -hmm. way. Um, and it seems like from what, from what you're saying, like that's really not, the case at all it's more so just like you want to make sure that that you are treated correctly in the way that you identify sure yeah i think like especially if it's a situation where it is like a sign-up sheet or like somewhere where you're already giving your information i i think it's totally it should be totally normalized there you know i can understand like different situations when you're like talking to someone one-on-one -on -one or meeting them or in some kind of group and there it feels a little bit more unnatural I think to a lot of people but you know I hope that gets normalized someday but I think there's no no reason why it can't be when you're asking a wrestler their height and weight um you know because you're talking to people who are ants or monsters or like <laughs> pieces of living art like it's already weird like you know I don't have a heightened weight I have an appraisal value so like <laughs> we gotta get these things you know it's, it's not that those are the same things at all but like you know it's it's not at all like adjacent to those things <laughs> no no definitely <laughs> I just love just take a second like I just love that the 
in pro wrestling that we can have the, that type of conversation. It's like you're talking to an ant, uh-huh. you're talking to a, a hermit crab. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's just that's just what that's just what it is. Yeah, <laughs> that's why it's beautiful. <laughs> yes. Oh God. Yes. Well, still life. What is um, obviously pandemic aside um as we start to come out of this and hopefully get back to running more regularly safer shows um what is um the next goal for you um going forward i don't know um i think it's just more shows you know my personal goal is is just to wrestle more you know i always want that like you know matches per month to get bigger and bigger like you know it's hard to do that now but like generally that's that's the goal is just to keep wrestling more, um, to just continue to, to use my platform to spread awareness and to just kind of be a voice for trans and non-binary folks. Like that's kind of, you know, that's become increasingly more important to me, especially like after I came out was just, I get to meet fans who come up to me at the merch table every show. And that's definitely kind of, change my perspective of what I do so just to keep being a positive representation for that and keep working to make things better like we were just talking about like whatever small way it may be but just to keep doing those kinds of things um and then um I'm really interested like outside you know within wrestling just to kind of work with outside people you know working with people outside of wrestling um to kind of like I don't know just to perform with different people or to get opportunities like that. So I'm thinking a lot about that and trying to, to figure out how to build those connections. Mm. Yeah. So that's, that's where I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's an awesome place to be and an awesome place to start heading towards. No, I, I think that, you know, much like what you just spoke to, like a lot of people within, they're so young in this industry are already seeing like people resonate with them much like how I think a lot of trans and non-binary people are resonating with you. Mm-hmm. Um, how, like you, you said that that kind of changed your, your um, outlook in some ways, like how exactly has that impacted you to, to have people within your, your community within, and within the LGBT community as a whole um, see you as like for, I guess, a, a role model or someone to, to admire in that way. I mean, very overwhelming, you know, it's, um, that's a lot of pressure, especially like as I was like first coming out, like it's all new to me too. So like, I'm still like trying to explore this and learn about it and learn about myself and I have my own anxieties with it. So it's like, just to be a public person in a way, just adds to that. But, um, and more and more it's, I see it as like a privilege and an opportunity and like an honor to do that and to kind of like, I don't know, be this person. Um, It's very humbling and like, you know, it definitely like, I feel like I need to hold myself to a different standard, I guess. Um, Just be more mindful of how I carry myself and what I say and how my character's presented, you know, knowing that like, um, I don't know, just knowing that there's a little bit more to it than than the average wrestler, I think. it's just something that I'm I'm conscious of and aware of. Yeah, no, definitely, and you know, I, it, there's true power in in representation. Like the fact that mm-hmm. you and Joshua being on that that GCW show um, mm-hmm. actually got 
a non-binary flag in the crowd at a GCW show. Yeah, that is an accomplishment in and of itself. That is probably one of the more like loud visual statements from that day that I will remember going forward. Yeah, I love that. I love because I like I I didn't I didn't know they were there. So like, I <laughs> made my entrance and I'm turning around and I and I see the flag and I was just like, oh yeah, like it just it, it definitely like. I had a moment there because it's like, I'm always like so nervous as soon as I come out of the curtain and it was just like, um, that gave me a little bit of peace right, right then. <laughs> so it was, it was cool. <laughs> no, no, definitely. Well, still, I, I am so glad that we had a chance to sit down and chat. Um, let everybody know where they can find you online and what you may have uh, coming up in the near future. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. I'm, I'm a huge fan of your show. I listen to oh, it every week too. You. So it's, it's an honor to be here. Um, uh, I th okay. So I got to plug stuff. Um, so Christmas trios, like I said, um, IWTV on Christmas Eve, it's live or something. Um, really, really excited about it. Trios tournament. It's going to be so cool. Um, you can follow me on social media. You can follow me on Pinterest at apricots pears, not apricot spears apricots pears um so that's on pinterest i have some really cool ideas up um you can follow me on twitter apricots pears you know i share some thoughts and stuff twitter's kind of like a store right now so like i don't really get on there as much but you know <laughs> it's there um and then uh instagram i'm, I'm kind of more into instagram these days so apricots pears so apricots pears on all of them so those are the big big three i use but like you know, I only have eight followers on Pinterest, so like trying to like bring that up a bit. So, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> well, everybody should go follow them on Pinterest. <laughs> follow them. Oh, real quick before I let you go, I do have to ask. Obviously, mm -hmm. you were slated to debut the first non-binary tag team, them, yes. alongside Sophie King <laughs> in April before everything hit. Do we have any kind of update on when them might be making a debut? No. Oh. So, like, they have some medical problems right now, so. Um, but no, it's gonna happen. We'll we'll we will figure it out. <laughs> but <laughs> um, yeah, it will happen. Definitely, and and I think all of us will be here for it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll make it happen. Oh yes, definitely, definitely, definitely. Thank you so much, still life. Oh my god, thank you. This is so awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> My thanks once again to Still Life with Apricots and Pears for coming on the show. I am terrible accepting compliments. I'm glad that they are an avid listener, much like all of you out there. Um, and I don't know, that just really hit me in, in the heart. It was awesome. Uh, it's You always like hearing words of affirmation, I guess. Um, either way, um, definitely check out their Pinterest at Apricots Pears um, and, and get that going because, uh, you know, being a living work of art and being an artist themselves, you know, um, that is a very, very awesome place to express your creativity and express these, these visual motifs and these ideas in, in a very fun way. What better place to check out what is on the brain of pro wrestling's um, most prized um, museum piece? I would say, um, then on Pinterest. So check check them out there. Follow them on Twitter, all the good places. And definitely don't forget Camp League Frog Christmas Trios coming up on Christmas Eve. Um, and it's, it's, 
I don't know. I just had fun with this one. I have fun with all the shows, but there was just something just a little bit extra this time around. I, I really liked it. So um, that's going to do it for us here this week. Um, but before we get out of here, you know, we'll do all the thank yous and stuff. But oddly enough, I have the rest of the month booked out um, ahead of time far enough that I can actually let you all know what's coming up for the rest of the month here on the show. So, um, you know, obviously check out the backlog for any uh, episodes that you have missed but coming up closing out 2020 with interviews with aw's nyla rose nyla rose is returning to the show um, as well as jordan blade one half of the kings of the district who has a very busy weekend ahead of herself coming up this weekend over with uh, synergy wrestling as well as paradigm pro wrestling um and that that's going to be a really really awesome conversation um and then we're closing out the year looking at the QWI 100. It is definitely coming later this month. I've been working tirelessly on this. It's a project close to my heart, and we will be looking at that list in some way, shape, or form on this show, as well as uh, in print form uh, somewhere. So, yeah, that that's going to close out the rest of the year, and then we'll kick off January with the Tokyo Dome Wrestle Kingdom like we always do in January, and then uh, we're into a new year, 2021. It almost feels like it isn't actually happening, <laughs> but, you know, well, we're going to have fun for the rest of 2020, and then we'll usher in 2021 and see how that how that hits us going forward. Um, but, of course, we cannot say goodbye without saying thank you to some of the awesome people that make this show as rad as it is. Uh, the Progress Pride Flag Design by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. You can find out more at quasar.digital. And of course, a big thank you to Sarah in the Safe Word for our theme song, Formula 666. That's off the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter at STSW Band. And you can check out their music on both Spotify and Bandcamp at sarahinthesafeword.bandcamp.com. We mentioned Christmas Trios, Camp Leapfrog, earlier in the show. You can check out the backlog of Camp Leapfrog shows as well as Christmas Trios live on independentwrestling.tv on December 24th, Christmas Eve. And a really awesome way for you to check that show out if you don't have a subscription yet, we have a promo code here that gets you a five-day free trial to check out everything that they have over independentwrestling.tv. Check out Camp Leapfrog Christmas Trios. Just enter the code LGBTRINGPOD or you can visit tinyurl.com slash IWTV LGBT and get five days free and enjoy the plethora of content that is over there as well. Um, once again, that promo code LGBT ring pod or visit tinyurl.com slash IWTV LGBT and get five days free on us. It's always rad. And, of course, if you're into video games, I do also co-host a video game news show called the Mr. Video Game Super Show that goes live every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, over on twitch.tv slash Entertainment, Sunlight Star. Um, it's just two hours of me and a couple of friends. We go over the week's gaming news, you know, crit alpha critique where we need, have fun where we can, and just, just a really fun time. And of course, with Cyberpunk 2077 coming out this week, which as I'm speaking, I'm getting the download coming onto my PS4. So we'll see <laughs> how that shapes out. I'm sure that's going to be a, a heavy uh, topic of discussion on this week's show. So check it out. 
every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, Mr. Video Game Super Show over at twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at WonderboyOTM. You can follow the show on Twitter at LGBTRingPod. Um, and you can follow all of our great content and, and words over at Outsports.com. And check out all the other podcasts on the Outsports Podcast Network. They're all great, and they're all unique, and it's a wonderful family to belong to. Yeah. So uh, that's going to do it for us here this week, though. Uh, so until next week, y'all stay messy. Wear your mask. Wash your hands. And wish Trophy Boy Tyler Klein a happy belated birthday. Oh, also happy belated pansexual Friday. Bye. Everybody's ready to die. They didn't see it coming from the top of the bridge. She made a deal with the demon so alive.